Welcome to the Ecom Wiz Podcast, a podcast that helps Amazon sellers to dominate the marketplace. And I do mean dominate. Dominate. Each week, we deliver the best interviews with some of the top Amazon influencers in the industry. This is the Ecom Wiz Podcast. Hey everyone, it's Rob Stanley with the Ecom Wiz Podcast. And today I have a very special guest and uh, somebody I actually have been watching for quite a long time in the Amazon world. I have uh, Kevin King. Uh, Kevin, thanks for being on the show. Yeah, I'm glad to be here, man. It's nice to see you again. Yeah, you too. So those who aren't familiar, and gosh, I don't know where you've been uh, if you're not familiar with Kevin King, uh, eight-figure seller, coach, speaker. I mean, probably any event you go to, he's usually speaking at. And uh, absolutely honored to have him on the show. And I got some fun questions for him. And then, of course, we will cover Amazon and all the things that probably people are wondering about uh, how you became so successful. And uh, just to start it off, let's just dive right in, Kevin, if you're, if you're good with that. Sure, sure. So let's go with, uh, do you feel that some new sellers are looking for kind of like a quick win product? And what advice do you give to those people that are kind of just looking for that, hey, I want to find that product and win instantly? Yeah, I think a lot of people, they're, they're misled by a lot of the, uh, the trainings that are out there, the people doing webinars and the, the YouTube videos, and they show screenshots because they're trying to make it look compelling that, look, look how much uh, money I made uh, in such a short quick, uh, amount of time. And it's usually uh, false information. Uh, they might have actually generated that money. You might see a screenshot from someone that shows you $50,000 in the first month or, or more, uh, but what they don't tell you is that those were all rebates or giveaways. And they're actually upside down twenty thousand uh, dollars. They just make it look like, or they leave numbers out. They'll go through profit uh, calculations and say, "Look, you can buy this for." There's there's a really popular guy out there right now that they'll show you like you can buy this for two dollars and sell it for twenty, and that's an eighteen dollars profit per unit. Uh, he leaves out the Amazon fees. He leaves out the storage. He leaves out the shipping. He leaves out the the feedback software. He leaves out every every other thing and paints this rosy picture this just simply is not true. And so a lot of people get really misled that they think this is a, a field of dreams and uh, they can quit their job in a couple of weeks and uh, go sit on the beach and uh, just check the app on their phone uh, uh, every time it rings like a cash register and, uh, and be set. It, it just doesn't work that way. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with you 100%. Everybody I've talked to that has been successful, they put years in and, and kind of the grind, right? Like they've grinded it out, they've learned, They've gone through the process. So yeah, I 100% agree with you. And that's great information for any, any new seller or somebody who's either new to selling or looking to start selling on Amazon. So I mean, I've got a company right now that we just started. You know, I've got several Amazon businesses and I have one right now with some partners that we started in April. And we've invested a million dollars in excess of a million dollars in this company. And we're not taking a dime out. I'm not paying myself. I'm working 12, 14 hour days on it, seven days a week right now to get it up and going quickly. And we're not paying ourselves, not even a salary until sometime next year. Uh, so that's, I mean, so, and that's because we're working and turning everything back in, uh, into it. So it, um, it depends on your goals. You know, the number one, the other question that always comes up with, with this is how much money do I need to start this business? Mm. You know, you could start it with a thousand bucks or 5,000 bucks, but you need to temper your expectations because if you're starting with a, a, a small amount like that and anything under probably $50,000 is a small amount, you can definitely do it. Uh, but it's not going to take off. Uh, you're not going to be able to cash flow it. You're either going to have to come back. If you start with 5,000 and you're very successful, you're going to have to pretty quickly come back with another 10 or 20 or 50,000 uh, to follow that up pretty quickly to keep it going. Or you're just going to have to say, look, I'm happy selling uh, five or 10 units a day. That's all I need. I only need to make a, you know, $500,000 profit a month, you know, and I'll just grow this slowly. Uh, or, uh, you know, I don't have, I'm going to keep my regular job and I just need a little side, side hustle, side money. And there's t nothing wrong with that. But that's the reality of it. You'll hear people all the time say, what can you start this with? And so they'll hear, well, you can start it with uh, 5000 bucks, And then they think, okay, that's all I need. And 5000 bucks three months from now, I'm going to be rich. It just doesn't happen. I mean, there's the rare exception where someone hits a, gets a winning lottery ticket. And, and, but most people that started, and you'll hear even some of the bigger gurus say, yeah, we started this company with twenty grand, 
and now we're doing um, you know four million a year. They probably did start it with twenty grand, but what they don't tell you is that a month later, or two months later, three months later, they maxed out a credit card, got a loan. Their rich uncle helped them out. Something happened. Their their, their factory gave them terms. Something else happened to keep that going. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, I started my business back in the nine late nineties uh, with like three hundred bucks, but you know, just to cover what Kevin was saying. I was still working a full-time job and it really didn't go full-time on it for a year and a half. So it just, I had to keep building on it. Any money that I made, I just kept putting back in the bank account. So the reality is I started the business with more money because I just kept putting that money in the bank to actually start the business. So you're hundred percent right on that. Great information. Um, how strong is the public's overall trust right now in Amazon platform for 2020? What's your opinion on that? I think the public generally overall uh, trusts Amazon. Uh, I think there's some people that just like with PayPal or just with eBay, they've had a bad experience and they have a bad taste in their mouth. Something was late. They got a bad product. You know, they got something that was not authorized. It made them sick, you know, or, or whatever, got a counterfeit thing. So you're going to have some, some bad experiences, but generally overall, I think people really are favorable of Amazon. Uh, the public side and most of them don't understand it like we do you know we see all the little wrinkles and we see all the little twists and turns and you know i was just talking to someone the other day about uh showing them some reviews and they're like oh look we got uh, four verified reviews and i was like yeah look, look at the little flag that's next to it it says early review program uh and they're like yeah well, what, what does that mean uh so that's the public doesn't understand you know we understand what that means that you paid for that review basically or you know, you paid Amazon for that review, but they don't understand that. So we understand it differently and we see things a little bit differently. And even me as a shopper on Amazon, you know, I'll evaluate things different. My wife will come to me sometimes when she's buying something. And so if she's a little bit uncertain about it, she'll say, Kevin, can you, can you help choose the, the item? Because I know how to look at the, the reviews properly to analyze the, 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 uh, analyze the split of a, a parent child's, you know, see which ones actually got the reviews when people are reading all that kind of stuff that the public doesn't have. So they're not aware of some of the issues that we are. So they still trust it quite a bit. I yeah, I agree. Yeah. Living in this world, I definitely, when I go to buy stuff, I, I look at it quite a bit differently than uh, most probably do. And I'm sure you do too. Yeah, I but, do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I analyze, I analyze uh, probably uh, quite a bit differently. I yeah. was just buying something the other day and the reviews were, uh, there's quite a few negative reviews uh, on it. There's about 20% negative review rate. And I was like, man, I'm not going to buy this, but it looks cool, um, but I'm not going to buy it. So I took it into Helium 10 and split the reviews up and looked at it. And it turns out these 20, re uh, the, most of the negative reviews were on one particular variation mm -hmm. of this parent-child relationship that was not the one that I wanted. Uh, and mo the one that I wanted was mostly positive, but Amazon doesn't let you split that. So I had to use Helium 10. So I went ahead with the product and it turned out to be okay. Yeah. But yeah, I've run into a situation where I was looking to buy something personally, went way back into the reviews and found out that they were selling a completely different product. Like mm -hmm. it was something like green tea or something like that. And now they built up the, uh, you know, built up the reviews on it and then turned around and sold like uh, wireless earbuds or something like that. Yeah. And I was just like, wow, how crazy is that? It just, you know, that manipulation or things like that. It, it kind of gives Amazon kind of a, you know, bad taste to people who do buy on there, you know, cause you, they're manipulating the reviews on it and people that do that. I mean, obviously our hope is that, you know, Amazon catches those or people do and it ends up like going away, but, uh, not you always. To, you have to remember though, too, those things do happen. And every time it happens, uh, the wall street journal or someone writes a, a, a negative story and they get a quote from Amazon. Amazon's always like, yes, we're on top of it. That's uh, such a small fraction of, a, of our audience that this happens to. And it's true. It's a very yeah. small percentage. I mean, we're hyper aware of it because we're 50, 100, 200,000 active. You know, there's a, million, a couple of million people selling on Amazon, but in the communities online that are discussing this, there's a couple hundred thousand probably. We're hyper aware of it, but you got to remember there's 100 million plus people speaking. So we're just a little blip of the ones that are, are hyper aware of it. And then I think Amazon has probably an unwritten rule of uh, there's a certain level of tolerance that when you get that big, there's just going to be, you know, that stuff's going to happen and, yeah. and they'll, they'll do what they can, but it's sometimes it's pop a mole and, and they just, they just, there's, it's kind of like when you do an inspection of, of your products in China, you know, you, you have a certain threshold. If there's a, a few little strings hanging off on three of them out of a hundred, you may let it go. 
um, uh, versus if there's seven of them are really damaged, you're gonna you're gonna hold the shipment and, and check everything and fix it. Amazon might be kind of the same way. There's a there's a threshold where, and to us it affects us because we're sellers and we're like this is this sucks. Uh, but to them it's like it's no big deal. Um, there's nine ninety nine and a half million other people that don't care. Um, yeah. hundred million or whatever. So you have to yeah. put everything in perspective. Yeah. And it really depends what that defect is, right? If it doesn't affect the overall workings of the product, then you're probably fine with it. But like you said, if it's smashed or has actual damage to it, then that's a whole different story. Yep. So we're, we're not here to really, we're not trying to bash on Amazon. We're just trying to give everybody some information. So is it still a good time for people to sell? I mean, with all this crazy stuff going on, uh, there, I, I see popping up on a lot of the, you know, Facebook groups and stuff like that. Is it a good time to start selling on Amazon? Like, should I start selling now or did I miss the boat, you know, type thing? And what, what's your opinion on that, Kevin? Uh, no, the, the, the best day to uh, start on Amazon might have been yesterday and the second best day is today. No, it's still a great opportunity. Um, you know, in 2013, 14, when this private label kind of model, 2012 really, this kind of little private label model that a lot of people are doing now started taking off and was being taught amazing. Uh, one of the guys that kind of launched that, um, this, this model, you know, it was a lot easier. Uh, there wasn't as much competition. You didn't have to do as much work. It's, it's harder now. There's more work involved, but there's still tons of opportunities. And Amazon is growing and growing and growing. So in the past, you might have, or you might see an old YouTube video. They say, look for something that's under a, I don't know, I'm making this up, a 3,000 BSR. Um, and so you may be looking, well, I can't find anything I can sell under a 3,000 BSR that's not too competitive. Well, Amazon has grown so much, you know, they're almost doubling year over in the last couple of years. They've, they've more than doubled. So what used to be a 3,000 BSR might be a six or 7,000 now. So you can have products in that, that, that are not big sellers that are still making a nice healthy chunk of change uh, just because Amazon has grown so much. You know, I have a product right now doing five figures a day that's got a BSR in the five, 6,000 range. Um, and so, it, and it's not a $500 item or something. Uh, you know, it's not a $10 item, uh, but it's not, it's, it's under a hundred bucks and it, it's still doing, uh, doing well. So the opportunity is great uh, as long yeah. as you do your homework up front. Yeah, no, absolutely. I agree with you hundred uh, percent. But what are some of the pitfalls that you've seen with new sellers when they do start to sell? I mean, I know there's multiple, probably multiple ones. And we talked a little bit about, you know, yeah, people can start with smaller amounts or versus like a bigger amount. But like when people come to you or when you're, you know, talking about selling on Amazon, I'm sure there's got to be kind of a theme that you see that new sellers like mistakes they make or pitfalls they, they run into when they start selling. Probably number one is they're underfunded. They mm -hmm. don't account for all their expenses. That's like buying the freedom ticket, the, the training that I do with, uh, for Helium 10. It's included free with anybody that has a Helium 10 uh, account that, that I go through. There's a detailed spreadsheet in there uh, that's like seven panels and super, super detailed to account for every little expense, trademarks, I mean, every little thing that most people don't. So it really paints a picture. We get a lot of questions like, well, the ROI in the spreadsheet is really low compared to what these other tools are telling me my ROI is, uh, what's wrong with the spreadsheet? It's nothing. It accounts for everything. Uh, so a lot of people actually don't, don't come into it with enough money or they don't plan, they don't understand the cash flow down the road, what they're, what's going to really take to grow something. Sure. Uh, the, the other one is uh, people don't differentiate. You know, they do their homework using Viral Launch or Helium 10 or whatever their tool of choice is for doing research, Jungle Scout, whatever. Um, and they don't differentiate the product. They think differentiating the product is including a free PDF or, or changing the color or something. And you can't, you can't do that. You've got to completely, you, you've got to make it your own. Um, just being another has, has been as a, sh, as a, sh, you might do okay for a month or two, but it, it's just a, a recipe for disaster. And so you have to differentiate and you have to put a little, uh, a little bit of a moat around you. And uh, otherwise, uh, your chances are, are are pretty slim, and then a lot of people also they they get dollar signs in their eyes, and they just want a bestseller, and they don't under they don't always realize that. Like I just said, sometimes something that sells five, ten a day, uh, instead of getting all greedy, is way better, less com com less competitive. Maybe doesn't take quite as much money to get everything up and going, because you can work and turn the money faster, and you you string together some of those instead of having one product have ten. That's uh, so one product that sells 50 a day and it's super competitive and people are clipping at your heels have 10 products that sell five a day. 
and uh, sit back with a lot less problems. You're not going to have a bestseller. You're not going to be able to brag to someone that, you know, look, this product's doing $100,000 a month, but who cares? Uh, you know, it's all about how much you put in your pocket at the end of the day, not how much sales you do. That's 100% true. I, I think sometimes people are too focused on those other things like being a top seller. Hey, my focus when I ran my business is what did I make? What was my bottom line on that? How much did I net on that? You know, because I could sell, you know, just like you said, I could have five items and be netting, you know, 100 grand a month and I could have 100 items netting 100, you know, 100 grand a month. Really, I'll take the five items because you're right, a lot less headache, a lot less customer service, usually, usually. So, uh, yeah, that's, that is some great information and I'm glad you shared that because I think a lot of people don't necessarily look at that way. And, uh, but the people that have been in the game for a long time, they do. And, and that's something people should think about. Yeah, so I let, let's keep going. I got tons more good questions for sure. you. So that's great information. Thank you. Um, what about when you're researching a product and looking for kind of a good product? Let me give you a little more to that because I know you use the Helium 10 uh, tool, but I'm kind of talking about like with me, I kind of had certain categories I looked in and, and, and kind of looked at and it was maybe because I had a little more experience in those. So do you kind of look at it that way too that, you know, hey, based on, past products you sold or similar type products, you'll kind of focus on a category to start investigating to find, you know, another winning product uh, going that route or do you have something different you do? Well, if it's a brand, if it's, uh, no, not necessarily. When I first launched um, doing the FBA model, I've been selling on Amazon for 20 plus years, but when I first launched the uh, FBA model in 2015, I started with five different brands, five different mm -hmm. categories. Um, and, but now I have another, you know, one of my other companies is very focused on the dog niche. Uh, another one is very focused on something in the, uh, in the, the health niche. Um, so those companies, I would not be selling automotive under, uh, in the, and one that's focused on the health niche and I'm not going to be selling, uh, beauty products and the one that's focused on the dog niche. So yes, I will expand out, but I don't just look at, it doesn't have to be, if I'm selling a dog toy. It doesn't have to be a, another dog toy or a dog bowl or a dog leash. It can be something for the dog owner. So it can be, so I will expand out in that way. So if, if I, I notice that all my dog lovers that are buying my, let's say I'm selling a, a, a dog bowl, they're buying my dog bowl. These are also people who love to, uh, to go hiking with their dog. I might, and I see a need, I might come up with a, you know, some sort of a apparel item or something that's really not in the dog niche, but it's for the human. You know, here's a, I don't, I'm just making something up here. Here's a, a jacket that you wear, you know, it has 20 different pockets on it. So you can keep all your different dog treats and poop bags and water and whatever, whatever. I'm just, so that wouldn't no, really, get you. in the dog niche that could be in the clothing niche. So I would expand out, but I, I go after an avatar or a person and what else would that person buy that's along these same lines. Because I know if they, they're interested in dogs, they're probably going to be other dog-related stuff. But they might also have an interest in something else, uh, and I can garner that. But that's usually you're going to have a, have a bigger audience that you can segment it that, that, that way. So when you're, but when you're first starting, if you don't have a niche and you're just like getting into this, I wouldn't limit yourself. I mean, the only way, where place I might limit myself is if some of the products are gated. You know, it's about 30-some-odd mm. products on Amazon – or categories, sorry, 30-some-odd categories – main categories and there's a few of those require some special permission and Amazon lists that for you on their website and it's called gating. Um, so you have to show proof that you, some, some of the extra proof to be in those like automotive is one of them, for example. Um, and so I might skip that uh, in the beginning if I'm brand new and, and avoid a few of those just to avoid the extra work and hassle. Uh, then later on, once you, once you get your feet wet, uh, then, then come back and maybe do something in those. Yeah, that's, that's great advice. And I mean, in the podcast, prior podcast, I've always recommended probably don't get into the iPhone case accessory business right off the get go either. I, yeah. I live that world and uh, it's very difficult and it's probably not something you want to take on uh, as your first product, even though a lot of people see it very tempting because there's lots of cases sold. It's usually not, not a great first product and you have to have a lot of money to really jump into that area now compared yeah. to in the past. It's a cheap people attracted to it because I can buy these things for quarter or 50 cents yeah. and sell them for 20 bucks. And, but they don't realize that a lot of other people are seeing that too. And it's super ultra competitive in there. 
but like supplements, uh, phone, iPhone cases, anything that's uh, a lot of stuff. If you go to Amazon, look at the top 100 BSR, your best sellers. Yeah. Um, those are areas for a new, a new person to stay away from. Um, so if something's in the best seller list, that category, I would not, if, if you're new, I mean, if you've got a lot of e-com experience, you've been doing this for 20 years and you really know, okay, maybe, and you're, you come with some good money behind you, maybe you can go in there and compete. But if you're a brand new person, I would steer clear of anything that's in the top 100. Steer clear of anything that's given as a source of products from any training company. Oh, uh, it says here's a list of a hundred hot products on Amazon or, or whatever, or some PDF or don't run as far fast as you can from those. Anything that someone shows you in a demonstration video, you know, like the, the guys at project X at helium 10, they did a, uh, a couple products, uh, in a case study. And then all of a sudden there's a bunch of other people doing the same thing. People just copy. Yeah. Uh, don't, don't do that. Um, you know, one of those people might actually be successful, but then you're going to have uh, just a ton of people, uh, that, that, are not and they're going to end up losing money and say, ah, this Amazon thing doesn't work. Yeah, no, that's, that's really good. And yeah, that project X is great. I, Tim's awesome. Bradley's awesome. They, they do some great information over there. I watch it sometimes too. It's, it's just, it's good to watch and it's fun because it, to see how they're diving in so deep and giving real examples, that's really cool mm -hmm. stuff. So for some of the sellers uh, out there, uh, do you kind of feel that Amazon is being responsive enough to the seller's needs right now? Cause it, I mean, we're always, I mean, this shifts, right? It seems like it shifts. Like when things were with the coronavirus, it seemed like they were kind of like backing off and letting people things go a little easier, right? Like they weren't necessarily suspending people on certain things. They just give you a warning, but do you kind of feel like that they're still kind of listening to the sellers or where do you see that kind of going? Um, I don't think a whole lot has changed. Um, I, I think, uh, Amazon is still a shoot first and ask questions later platform, uh, for the sellers. Everything is about the customer. Uh, yeah. their whole focus is all customer. They don't care about the seller. You know, you go to, to a China like JD or, uh, JD or some of the That's other big markets there. over there. Uh, um, they're seller first, customer second. Amazon's the opposite and there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, it's a great, you know, it makes me as a buyer know that anything I buy from Amazon, <laughs> I'm totally, I'm, I can return it or uh, I'm not going to have a problem because I'm always going to win. But yeah. from a seller's point of view, they haven't been the best. Um, and part of that is, is that they're just too big. I mean, they, they've just, there's just too many moving wheels and the way they've compartmentalized everything. One apartment doesn't know what the other one's doing or they cross over. I mean, I just, for this new company, I had a product. It's, I have, I have a, uh, someone at Amazon that I work with, you know, not a, not someone seller support, but someone that actually at the Amazon offices in Seattle, you know, a, a real human being with a brain that that's uh, has access to my accounting can accelerate stuff. But on one of these products, we've had it, uh, we've had it taken off five times by Amazon. Actually the product just, you're, this is a restricted product. You're not allowed to sell it and just takes the whole listing down. And, I go to I go to seller support and they're like, okay, it's just going to take a while. You know, we've opened a ticket or they give me some canned answer. I go to him. He's like, okay, let me accelerate this up. They get it back. He gets it back on yeah. and then happens again. And then happens again. That's a, a function of them just being too big and, and growing too fast and too many working parts. So that's part of it. And it makes us feel like we, they don't care. I think they actually do care more than it appears, uh, but they are vague on purpose a lot of times. So that gives them a little bit more flexibility and legal coverage. But I think what's happening now with the state of California and the state of Washington and the U S and then Europe is going to force some changes. Uh, Cause there is some stuff that's being done. That's just not right. And I think you're going to see, you know, brand brand analytics that came out last year was example of that they were accused uh, in the press of, doing a few things. And so like, oh, here you go. We're going to give you a little bit more information. And I think you're going to start seeing more of that happening. They're going to start being a little bit more friendly, but it's just a beast. I mean, you just, it, you got so many moving parts and so much going on. It's, it's hard to manage. Uh, it, it's so there's always going to be some people that feel, feel um, like Amazon doesn't care. Yeah. Yeah. And I think we might also see, you know, some of the liability fall back on Amazon too. Uh, you know, especially in the 1P department. I mean, you know, they had that whole thing going down with the, uh, I think it was a dog leash or a, a mm -hmm. pet leash. And they're, you know, being, I don't know, sued or something, or somebody's going after Amazon because they couldn't go after the seller or something. 
Yeah, they lost and, that. Ca- they lost that case. Oh, did they? Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, but you're, we're seeing it come creep back up again in different forms of you know, uh, basically Amazon's being looked at for liability. I mean, I kind of look at it as you know, there's a reason like on eBay, I'm selling my own product. Amazon or eBay is not selling my product for me. On Amazon via 1P, Amazon's now the seller of it. If they buy it from me and they put it in their warehouse and they sell it under their name or through them, then it kind of, they should be a little bit liable for it. I'm talking specifically on the 1P side. Now, if you look at like Walmart or some uh, any other big, big retailer, to get into Walmart on their stores or Walgreens or CVS or any of the big, you know, Bed Bath & Beyond, you've got to provide all kinds of documents of insurance that names them, that does, you got to cut it cover them. And like you said, you know, if someone buys a, a dog leash at Bed Bath & Beyond and it hurts them, they're probably going to sue Bed Bath & Beyond and they're going to sue you as a manufacturer. Then Bed Bath, you as a manufacturer are going to indemnify and help cover Bed Bath & Beyond in most cases. Amazon hasn't done that. I mean, in, if you go back for years, Amazon's actually had it in their seller agreement. If you read that big long thing when you sign up for an account, you have to have insurance. You have to have both product uh, general liability, which is five six hundred dollars a year for most people. Some people it's a little bit more, and then you have to have product liability, which is completely different. A lot of people don't understand that. Mm-hmm. That can be thousands or tens of thousands of dollars per year, depending on on what you're selling and how much you're selling. And most people don't have it. Amazon actually states in their seller agreement that if you they give you three months, so once you after three months of selling and of ten thousand dollars or more. So if you're kind of small, they don't quite enforce it, but it says $10,000 or more three, for three months. You must send uh, these documents to this address in, in Seattle and you must do this and send all this insurance and they haven't been enforcing that. And I yeah. think what you're going to see because of some of this is they're going to start to enforce that. And so I think they're just trying to figure out how are we going to do this? We got a couple million sellers. Are we going to suspend them all if they don't have the document? Are we going to just make all new people do it? Uh, are we going to give them a grace period where they have 30 days to get this to us or we're shutting down all their listings? Something like that's going to happen. It has to. And they may start vetting products a little bit differently. I mean, right now, I can put anything up uh, on Amazon in 15 minutes from now, as long as my account's clean, it's live. And that's be- creating a problem with people selling. You know, the EPA just uh, uh, last, uh, uh, about 10 days ago, came down on Amazon and eBay for all these unauthorized products making all these claims for the coronavirus saying that, you know, it, it kills bacteria or it's effective against coronavirus or all these different claims that are completely untrue. None of those products have, have got official EPA certification. You know, if I was selling those products on Walmart, they wouldn't make me send the EPA certifications. Amazon doesn't uh, in most cases. So I think you're going to see a big tightening up uh, coming um, uh, that's may make some sellers uncomfortable. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think that we're definitely going to see that in a lot of different uh, categories are going to get affected by that. And a lot of sellers will too. But it's a, I think overall, it's a good thing. It, it protects, it's going to protect the sellers better. It's going to protect Amazon better. Well, not to shift away from this because I love what we're doing, but you got a lot going on and I want to talk about some of these things you have going. Specifically, why don't you tell us about what you have going on? Uh, I think it's a new venture, new company with Steve Simonson. And uh, why don't you let everybody in on kind of this thing, uh, this uh, new business you got going? Yeah, so uh, Steve and I uh, partnered up in a company called Product Savants. Uh, it's at productsavants.com. And the whole idea of it is we see that the biggest, the two biggest pain points for most people are sourcing a product finding a product to sell, what's a good opportunity, and then sourcing that product. You know, a lot of people might go to Alibaba or Global Sources or get on a plane, go to Canton Fair, and that's great. You can find some sources that way, but that's not the best best way. So, um, and I'm 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 my I'm very good at uh, using the tools to find product opportunities, and uh, I just have a little uh, intuition on some of it, and I, so I can. You know, some people say they they spent six weeks or six months looking, and I just can't find a product. Uh, there's just nothing out there. And I'm like, give me a couple hours, I'll find you something. And so uh, I, that's my skill set. So I will go in and I'll find a product that looks like it has a good opportunity. And a lot of times I'm doing this for myself because I have several other companies selling on Amazon, but I might come across like what you talked about earlier. I'm looking for dog products. But I come across something just in my research, just following a rabbit hole that's uh, in the health and beauty niche. And I'm like, that looks pretty cool, but that just doesn't fit with what I'm doing. It's going to take some money, you know, 
maybe I should do it, but that means I got to divert money from my dog stuff to this and I'm losing focus. So I, let me stay focused on the dog thing, but I got this health and beauty thing. So then what I can do is I can then give that to Steve who Steve has a team in China that has, uh, you know, collectively a hundred plus years of uh, sourcing experience, a big team over there. Cause he's been importing hundreds of containers a month uh, for, for a long time. So he's very, very, uh, well-versed in the whole ways that everything works in China. Got a big team, so I give it to them. They can go out and then find the, the right factory for it. They're not just going to Alibaba. Or, you know, they have all the sources. They speak the language. They're getting the locals price, not the, uh, not the tourist price like we get. Uh, they're getting all that kind of stuff. Uh, they'll find it, find the good factories. They'll vet the factories. Uh, they'll come back to us and uh, say, here's what we can get it for. Here's the, the, how you can differentiate it, blah, blah, blah. And then Steve and I go through them again at that point, and uh, if and about half or more of them fail, we we're like, you know, this the the they just can't get it at the price we needed at, or um, MLQ is too high, or whatever it is. There's some reason that we just we back off of it. But then the ones that make it, then we create a, a report. Uh, I create a pretty detailed report. Like these are the keywords. These are this is what we think you can do conservatively in sales. Um, here's at the competition. Here's the market. Here's here. It's like a 15 page report on this product. And then you can actually buy that product. Um, so we don't tell you at product savants what the product is. Uh, so we'll tell you this is in the health and beauty category. And uh, we think it can do whatever, a hundred thousand dollars a year in sales. You're going to need $20,000 investment to get into this, we think, comfortably, to have enough for your first couple inventory runs. Do you want this product? And if you say, uh, yeah, I'm in health and beauty, I would love to have that product. And we tell you the size and all that, but we don't tell you what it is exactly. And then you take it, you sign some agreements, um, you, you pay a fee. Uh, uh, it's a percentage of what the first year's expected income might be. And then we, we turn it over to you. And so we turn, you, turn over the product to you and uh, with the report and the, the factory contact and everything. And then it's up to you to actually go out and, and take it from there. We're not involved in helping you launch it or write the listing or anything. It's, it's, it's up to you. So we don't want new sellers. Um, it, it's only for people who are experienced. So uh, you have to have some experience selling on Amazon because we get a little, little royalty on the backside. Uh, and so we, we want you to be successful. And that's where we, we spend a lot of time and put a lot of resources into it. And we're counting on you being able to, to take this and run with it. Uh, so that's how we cover our cost uh, of, of doing this. And so that's what Product Savants is. And it's, uh, we launched it in March of this year and uh, earlier this year, if you're listening to this in 2020. And it's, uh, it's, it's done very well. Yeah, and I think uh, I, I watched when you guys first initially came out and said, hey, this is what we're doing. Uh, I jumped on that uh, video and I was watching. I was like, wow, that is a great idea. Like, I, I mean, I wish I thought of that in the past because it, it is absolutely awesome. I, I come across stuff all the time that I'm just like, I just don't have time, right? It's a great concept. I got all the resources for it. I mean, I've been to 100 different factories. I know where I can go get it, but I just don't have the time to deal with it. And, and yourself and Steve, same way, right? It's, it, everybody's got stuff going on, but I think it's an amazing idea. It's great for somebody who's been around and knows what they're doing and they just maybe are lacking a little bit of the research and, and just need a product to add. And they're in that specific you know, category. I think, I know you, uh, when I talked to Steve, I think you guys had the first initial one somebody picked up. Have you done any, how many have you done since you guys launched? Yeah, we have, uh, there's about 15 or 20 out there right now. Nice. Uh, um, yeah, and the, we did one guy as a beta test, two people actually, as a beta test. We, we announced it uh, that we we're going to do something like in early of 2019, and it took us about a year before we actually came out and uh, made it public. But yeah, we had a couple of people do a beta uh, just to make sure, we want to prove the concept, make sure, you know, we were, we were not being uh, foolish here. And he's, ex he's come back to us for more. He's extremely happy. That's awesome. With what he's, what he, but he was able to take it and modify it a little bit and, and do it. And he, he's got a whole new brand uh, as a result of it. So um, that's, that's great. That's, that's really incredible. And I love that story. And it's such a great idea. What about, uh, you gave a little bit on the, like the process of picking the person. Um, do you guys follow up on that? Like, do you verify funds? Are you checking this person's background? I mean, kind yeah. of what you do to pick the right person for this uh, category or product. 
Well, yeah. What so if 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 I found a beauty product and I and, you know, it's, we tell you it's doing a hundred thousand a year, we give you the basic stats, and you say you want it, you might pay us five grand or something up front. You pay that five grand, then you send a contract. Uh, the contract spells out everything that uh, your you know the reports that you're going to have to give to us and how everything works. Um, if you have any questions about that, we answer them, and then you sign that. And then once you've signed that, then uh, Steve uh, usually will give you a call and uh, actually make sure. Uh, you know, he, he can tell in 10 or 15 minutes of talking to you that you actually know what you're doing. Um, and we've actually refunded money on uh, three or four people. Um, and some people are like, no, don't worry. I got this. You know, I, I'm good. Uh, but we're like, you know, this is going to take take a little bit more. It, it's better. We don't want to take your money. Um, mm -hmm. You know, um, so then once it once we don't require like, hey, send us screenshots, send us all this, you know, send us a finance. It's not it's not a it's not that kind of in-depth check but you know talking to somebody whether they they know what they're doing or not in this space you can ask the right questions and how they answered can tell you a lot and so yeah. that's that's kind of how we vet um and uh, it, so far it's uh, it's it's done well you know this is not thousands of products so it's it's manageable um there are other companies out there that that do this you know there's four or five of them that that you can go to them for a product for a lot less than what we're charging uh but it's just um I've seen some of the reports and some of the stuff they do and uh, it, it's, I'd be careful. Yeah. Yeah. On average, uh, how much time goes into selecting this winning product between you and Steve when you guys are getting it together? I'm sure, you know, some you might find faster or have a little more knowledge of, and then others you have to do a little more research, but on average, how much time do you guys put in to kind of find this winning, uh, winning product? I've never added it up exactly but i think yeah. for every single product i mean between if i just had to guess uh between my time steve's time the time where we're talking about together and his team's time the sourcing team's time it might be a hundred plus hours wow. uh and this is people that know what they're doing uh on, on top of it and, you know i'm not spending it's, it's not a hundred my i'm total it's yeah. it's got to be into the hundreds of hours um and from experienced people. So you're getting some of the best, some of the, one of the, some of the best of the best uh, to take a look at this. It's not a guarantee it's going to work. I mean, so far, knock on wood, we haven't had a something blow up on us, but uh, sometimes uh, somebody just may not execute or the market conditions could change. So it's not a guarantee, but on my, my personal products, I typically have about an 80% success rate um, on, on the product. So we're hoping that we can, uh, we can hit that same success rate on product savants. But like, for example, one of the ones that uh, we, we announced back in March that someone gobbled up, it was right place, right time for them. We had actually found that product in September of last year and it was a good product then. And then when the coronavirus hit, it became an exceptionally good product. Um, it wasn't face masks or PPE or anything like that, but it yeah. just was in the, a, a space that blew up. So that person that got that had a huge leg up just, and I'm hopefully they're they're out my out now because they should be killing it. Nice, that's awesome. Well, we're going to shift a little bit uh, here on the podcast to you, your background, and I want to talk a little bit about it. I've lived some of that time uh, frame in that era, but why don't you kind of let everybody know what was e-commerce like in the late '90s and early 2000s, and kind of how is it different than it is now? Yeah, I mean, I started. Uh... <laughs> That's a big question. <laughs> yeah, uh, it was. I mean, first the websites looked pretty, uh, pretty bad. Uh, if you go back and even look in the Wayback Machine of like Amazon's, uh, you know, is <laughs> they looked pretty, pretty bad. There's <laughs> a bunch of text everywhere, not too much pictures, a uh, bunch of flash video. Uh, that, that was a popular thing back then. I remember, yeah. I remember, you know, you didn't have video content at all. I mean, if you did, it was postage stamp size, and it would stop and stutter and stop and stutter, and audio sucked real audio player. Um, but yeah, I was back before, I remember even when Google started, I remember someone was like, ah, I was using Alta Vista and yep. some of these other, uh, search engines. And someone's like, Hey, go look at this Alta, this, uh, Yahoo thing. It's like a plain white page with a search bar said Google or something. I'm like, what the hell is this crap? Yeah. And then, you know, I'm, I'm used to directories and lists and whatever and uh, type something in. I was like, Oh, I found some cool stuff. Uh, I remember when the, you know, Google now makes their, their money on, uh, the, the, PP, the, the, the advertising, the clicks, but before Google, before they did that, there was something, uh, what was it called? Bid plus? No, what was it? Uh, uh, shoot. I'm drawing a blank on the name. There was a, another company, a go 
uh, go to. Yeah, that was it. Go to. Oh, go to. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> go to. That actually you could bid, and it was a penny clicks. Uh, penny, two cents, I think five cents. You're like, oh, shoo, I'm spending a lot of money, five cents a click. Um, that that started doing this advertising platform. So selling e-commerce back then was different. I mean, I, I think I sold my first thing. I think I opened my Amazon buyer account in 1999. Uh, every time I log into my order history, it says, go back and look. It's interesting to go back and see what I bought 20-something years ago. Um, and then eBay around the same time. And when I first started selling, I wasn't doing storefronts through those i would actually i would sell on ebay sales you uh i think i upgraded my cd collection uh was it my my uh dvd collection to blu-ray and sold all my old blu-ray old old uh dvds i remember uh i think switching the cds from record albums or something selling a bunch of those on there and uh i would go on amazon and they had the sell yours and so I would sometimes sell sell on somebody else's listing, oh, yeah. my my used copier or my used <laughs> whatever it might be, um, and but then I also had a storefront, my own website, uh, but it was nothing compared to what you can do now. is 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 super simple. Do you, Do you remember what platform you had your own website on by any chance? I know. Uh, uh, what was I, I? We developed our own. We had we had a. Uh, uh, a newsletter service and we had a photo, some photo uh, stuff and a membership site. And we had like 20 servers. I remember each of these servers was like four grand a piece and, and they were you know, little three fifties or something slow, slow as heck. And we had to string them all together and you didn't have all the raids and all the systems you have now, the blade servers and everything. And, and our ISP bill was like 8,000 a month for a T1 line or some crazy freaking number like that. And we had a business that we would get sometimes we back when Howard Stern was uh, on regular radio before yeah. he went to Sirius. Um, we, we had, a some, some guests go on his show a, a few times and it would just blow up our, our websites. I mean, they would just literally crash. We'd have to have our guy standing at the, at the at rack space or whatever the place was back then yeah. the, the, at flipping the switch. Cause we couldn't do it remotely, you know, to, to restart the machine. It was, it was crazy. Uh, and I remember I w we used to have a newsletter. We sent out emails and people would sign up for this newsletter and we would send them out on the 24 hours a day. Every hour we'd stagger them out and people could choose the time they got them. And we were sending out 300,000 emails a day. And this is before spam. Uh, you know, so everything was getting through and open rates were crazy, ridiculous. Um, and we could sell almost anything through there. And I remember even back in the day, figuring out what day is the best day of the week for someone to get an email. So I would always, I figured it out. It was Thursdays uh, and into Friday morning because I guess Fridays people got paid or something. <laughs> so I did all these testing. And so we would always send out our promotional stuff on Thursday nights. So whatever we were trying to sell, you know, whatever the sale of the week was would go out on Thursdays because that's for whatever reason, Thursday night into Friday was the best day to make sales. I don't think that's true anymore. Uh, in the day of Amazon, but um, it was back then. So yeah, it was it was quite a bit different. It, it was completely different. I, I lived that era too, and uh, it's funny all the names you bring up, Rackspace and stuff. Yeah, that's <laughs> hilarious. Yeah, with us on the emails, uh, we were always selling products through our website, so we found that it was always the first Monday of the month because everybody got paid on the first, mm -hmm. and usually we waited till whatever that first Monday was. And then this, uh, I think it was the 15th or 16th of the month was always really good. I can't remember. It's been a, been a while now, but yeah, I'm sure those things are not quite the same. So well, it's just uh, like in direct mail. I mean, my background is direct mail before all the internet stuff. I did a lot in, you know, what people call junk mail or whatever. Uh -huh. Um, and that, which still works today, by the way, it's highly effective still today. A lot of people think it's a dinosaur, but it still works. But back then it, you'd always want a time to be right after a holiday. And I think it's probably still true today or if you even pay attention to your own stuff, you know, uh, here in the States, um, right after a holiday, like Memorial day or July 4th or, or something, look the day after and notice how uh, the one or two days after normally you'll see an uptick in uh, the amount of advertising mail you get because there's scientifically proven that people are buying uh, right after a holiday. Uh, yep. And right before the holiday, you won't, unless it's very holiday focused, unless it's a, a Memorial day or July 4th sale or something, you won't see something before it, but right after it. And there's a reason for that. 
Yeah, absolutely. I, one of the things for us, because I had, I, I don't know if I got to tell you, but I had an iPhone business. That we were one of the iPhone parts businesses. Uh, and we we're at one point the biggest iPhone parts seller uh, provider in the United States. Oh, and wow. we always found that Sunday evening and Monday were the biggest sales. And we started figuring out it's because people would drop and break them on Saturdays or Sundays and start looking for how do I repair it or where do I find a part for it. So yeah, it, some of that's knowing your market, right? Like knowing yeah. your market really helps. And oh, yeah. uh, one of the things I wanted to ask you though is, I'm, I'm sure you've had lots of mistakes, right? Like we've all made mistakes through businesses, but kind of what is, what is one of the biggest ones you kind of re can remember and what did you learn from it that helped you going forward? Yeah, I mean, I had to declare bankruptcy in 1998 oh, wow. uh, and the, uh, mostly for business reasons. And uh, we had a business that was doing well, uh, but we started with no money. Uh, and so we were having to cash flow it. And so the way I cash flow it is by, I had 16 employees or something at the time, is I didn't pay Uncle Sam uh, their money. Uh, so, uh, you know, you, you have employees and let's say they're making $500 a, a week and you're, you're taking the taxes out, you know, and so they're only getting whatever, 350 and that 150, you're supposed to send to the government. And then for social security, you're supposed to match a little bit more. Uh, I, I didn't send that. Um, I, I, uh, used it to cash flow to buy more inventory, uh, and to keep the lights on and everything and figuring that, okay, I'll catch it up. Don't worry. But I couldn't quite catch it up. And so after about a year, uh, when our employees started uh, filing tax returns, getting refunds and the IRS is saying, here's your, $3,000 refund, but wait a second, we're giving you $3,000 and we never got anything over here from uh, Kevin. Uh, this doesn't jive. Uh, they came knocking. And so when they came knocking, uh, I had to go and, uh, and confront that. Um, I couldn't just run away. And so the, the way I was able to uh, confront that is I just had to declare bankruptcy because that kind of froze it. Um, and you still had to pay it, but that, gave, that bought me time. And so that bankruptcy messed up my credit. Uh, so my personal credit, cause the business was a sole proprietorship. Yeah. So that taught me, you know, make sure you do all your, you set your business up properly, make sure you do all your protections in case something personal happens and you can keep business and personal separate. And it, it screwed up my credit for like 10 years. I couldn't buy, it was difficult to buy a house. It was difficult to, uh, you know, get much of a credit line anywhere. Uh, since, you know, that was 20 some odd years ago, uh, 20, 23 years ago or whatever it is now. Uh, it's all, everything's good now, but that was a big learning lesson that, uh, I, you know, if I got into a bind again, I would do everything I could to avoid filing a bankruptcy. I know the laws have changed some since then too. So I think it, it's a little different now as well. Yeah. Wow. I, I, that's uh that's a biggie. That's definitely a biggie. hear about businesses closing, but like something like bankruptcy, that's, that's tough. Yeah. That's definitely tough. Now, I, I mean, you sent me a bio and I was reading through it and I, I was, uh, I did not know this personally, but I do know you do coaching and you have uh, quite a few people that you do coaching with. And I think if I read it correctly, like between all the people that you kind of coach, they're doing like a half a billion in sales. Is that correct? Yeah, it's actually probably more than that. It's probably a little bit older figure, but yeah, it's, I mean, I do, I do the freedom ticket, which is a, a free course. If you have a helium 10 membership, which is for new people. It's, it's yeah. aimed at new people or people that just started out. Uh, and some experienced people really enjoy it too. And then I do uh, the Helium 10 Elite, uh, mm -hmm. which used to be called Illuminati back when it started. And that's more for advanced sellers. It's a monthly training that I come on, I do some stuff, and then we bring on some guests. Uh, it's every single month uh, for, for the more advanced sellers. And then I do the Billion Dollar Seller Summit, which is my own personal event. It's 50 to 100 people. Uh, there's, I had to cancel the one that was scheduled here coming up shortly because of the coronavirus one, but we did two last year. Um, and they were both held here in Austin and the average in that room was, uh, about eight, $9 million a year on Amazon. Uh, so it's some big hitters. One, one guy was doing over a hundred million. So I bring in top speakers from all over the, the world. And, uh, we, we meet for three days and network and uh, it's, it's not your normal conference. It's a little bit different uh, than a, than the average conference you might go to, but it's all pretty high level uh, people. So yeah, if you added all those up, um, uh, I'm sure it's over half a billion dollars. Wow. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. I have heard of the conference and, and just some amazing people go there and show up there and you have to speak there. 
That's really cool. So, so kind of speaking of speakers, Kevin, who do you kind of look up to in the e-commerce world? Like who are sort of your mentors or, uh, you know, if they're not necessarily directly a mentor, people that you just, you like to listen to and kind of find out what knowledge they're giving out that you can maybe learn from. I mean, in the, in the Amazon space, I don't really have a, a mentor, but the person I think is the smartest in this space is Tryon Turku. Okay. Um, I think he's one of the smartest people in this, this Amazon space. So I, I pay attention to what he has to say and what he, he shares both publicly and privately. Um, as far as in the, uh, general e-commerce e e space, um, I don't or have business space or, or, or business space. Um, yeah. I wouldn't say I have, I don't read, uh, I don't read a lot of bios or anything like that on people. I don't follow, you know, some people say, Oh, I follow Elon Musk or I follow, I, I don't do any of that. Um, so yeah, I, I guess I, I can't say that I have someone that's my idol or that I watch their move or try to mimic, uh, in, in the space. I mean, there's, yeah, I, I, I don't. Uh, I just kind of keep my head down, do my own thing. And, you know, I'll read stuff, but I'm not particular. Um, I'm, I'm an information whore. I love to get information uh, and, but, and read different things, but uh, I don't read a lot of books. I have a lot of books that I should read probably, um, but I, I just don't have time to read them. That you just segued into my next question perfectly, Kevin. So <laughs> what areas in e-commerce do you feel is your weakest and how – do you solve, you know, them not being your weakest or how do you solve it? Uh, and e-commerce, I mean, the thing, I don't know if it's my weakest is the thing I hate is the accounting side. Ah, uh, there you so, go. Uh, I understand it. You know, I have a degree in business uh, from Texas A&M. I took a lot, of, got A's in accounting, so I understand it, but I, I, just, I just hate it. Um, you know, all the bookkeeping and all that stuff. So that's the side that I don't like, but the rest of it, um, I've done been doing this so long. Um, I enjoy it. I enjoy the challenge. I enjoy, um, I enjoy it. So I don't, I, I can't say that I have, a, there's a huge weakness. Um, um, I'm, I'm pretty good at qu quite a few things. Yeah. Well, obviously you've been around a long time and you've kind of dealt with a lot of different areas. So you got to have kind of a, a little bit of each area you have to have a little bit of knowledge in just to make sure everything's, you know, held together. So completely understand that. Well, Kevin, thank you for being on the Ecom Wiz podcast. I really appreciate it. And before we go, please plug anything you'd like. You're welcome to, uh, how do they get a hold of you? Uh, you know, talk about like your coaching, uh, any events that you're doing, even if they're online that you have coming up. Um, yes. Yeah, I mean, the, probably the best way is just go to amzmarketer.com. And that'll redirect to my Facebook and you just can follow me there. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't, uh, the, the coaching and the events and stuff, you know, Billion Dollar Seller Summit, or you can go to Helium 10 and check out the stuff I, I do there. Or go to, if you're an experienced seller, go check out Product Savants uh, that Steve and I do. And yeah, uh, if not, uh, that's cool too. Um, uh, we'll all be, uh, I'll be fine. <laughs> well, I'll be sure to put, I'll put the links down in the description for you. And again, Kevin, oh. thanks for being on the EcomWiz podcast. I really appreciate it. No problem, man. Thanks for having me, Robbie. Thanks for joining us this week on the EcomWiz podcast. Special thanks to our sponsor, FeedbackWiz.com. Be sure to use coupon code POD50 for 50% off your first paid month with FeedbackWiz. Again, the code is POD50. Please subscribe to the podcast so you'll never miss an episode. Join us next week for more great tips to help Amazon sellers dominate the marketplace.